What? The spreadsheet? Yeah. The calendar. Welcome to Game of Nodes, a weekly podcast on the cosmos from independent validator teams. Hello, welcome to Game of Notes, a weekly podcast on the Cosmos from independent validators. And now, sponsored by Coca-Cola, we're here with the Uptown Funk, the funky drummer, uh, <laughs> funky, uh, and we're going to be talking. We're going to be talking a little bit about Polkadot, obviously, as well as our usual subject, the Cosmos. As I mean, I, I literally actually said that like it was in, is in the title of the podcast, so I, that shouldn't be a surprise to anybody that Cosmos can come up um and yeah apparently the spreadsheet is a mess um and usurper is in key west and somehow managed to make that rhyme so doxed uh if you want to go meet usurper face to face and get some rhino swag you need to get your ass down to key west right now um what do you think he's like got a trunk full trunk full of swag i i know having now got this fine fine Needlecast apparel is that the American word um, that I carry. I carry swag on me at all times, just in case there is an opportunity for yorping to a key stakeholder. Um, you know, and, and expanding our, our burgeoning. Um, are, are you being legitimately serious right now? And does it include a shirt cannon? Like, is it handing or is it like? <laughs> if it's not going to kill Maud Simpson, yeah. I'm not interested. That would be my policy on merchandise. Um, I am actually, I, I'm closer to serious than I should be in that, yes, I do carry stuff around with me. Do I carry like a hoodie in every adult size? No, that would be, that would be like an extra rucksack to carry at all times. Um, Usurper has a stack of hats with him from the chat so there you go also the question is he's in the chat so he literally is in a bar he's literally in a bar with probably maybe like one apple earpod in while he's just doing something much more enjoyable like drinking beer pretending to listen to the missus i he said he was uh like doing a jet ski tour around key west so i guess that's finished that sounds ridiculous and fun and a completely <laughs> legitimate reason for not being on the podcast this week. Um, it's more legit than being at the pub. Com- Com- Commodore's Boathouse Usurper. Go check that place out. Great happy hour, good food, awesome drinks. So this it is happy hour now too, I think, isn't it? This week's episode of the podcast also sponsored by Commodore's Boathouse. Um, <laughs> <laughs> do you- Look, we are. Look, I'm just saying, we're, 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 having having now just shield Coca Cola and Commodore's Boathouse. I think we could actually get sponsored. Be picked up by the algorithm. Yeah, I mean, I think I think maybe we're <laughs> missing a trick on doing actual sponsorship shilling at, at a more semi professional level. We just need. There's just I think one thing missing that sponsors would would be looking for. It's viewers. It's viewers. The, the answer was viewers. Um, so Can you that, get in trouble for saying someone's a sponsor if they're not? Because, like, what if what if they're like embarrassed and they're like, "Whoa, whoa, we so do not sponsor them." I'm almost you know I mean? certain. I'm almost certain that sounds like the sort of shit that somebody could sue you for in America. That sounds really fucking likely. I think you're covered by parody. I would think you're covered by parody in the UK. I th- Is I parody think- a law now? 
Well, we don't have it. In, we don't freedom. We don't have it like you know. You do freedom of speech, but you do have like the boys will be boys. We don't shit. have freedom of speech. Well, no. In the UK, we literally do not have legally enshrined freedom of speech, but we do have that if somebody tries to do something particularly fucking stupid, um, it will. It kind of yeah. It kind of depends. Like sometimes, sometimes you would get. It depends on the judge, I guess. That's that's the problem of not having these things enshrined right in a constitution is that. Yeah, a judge will probably be like, this, this is fucking idiotic, lads. I'm going to throw this out. And then, like, you on a different day might get a different judge and they might go, ah, but the person who made the complaint is super rich Russian oligarch. And I happen to be given money by or have political sympathies that lead me in that direction. And then I am actually going to fucking charge you with a crime. And then you'd be like, what the fuck? Um, so that's why you need a constitution and a bill of rights, um, folks, that is written down rather than implicit like the British one. Wait, wait, well, what? Hold on. Well done, America. The British don't have an actual constitution or like a bill of rights? It's implicit? No, of course not. It's, it's, uh, there's an entirely – but this is the thing. Like, but all all British political process is basically based on an imagined set of this is how we conduct ourselves – to the extent that there's like, like this, to the height of government, right? So there's this idea of things like uh, parliament collective responsibility, which is that essentially like the, the so cabinet collective responsibility. The cabinet makes decisions for the country and they need to own those decisions collectively. And if there's a mistake made on your watch and you're the minister responsible, you resign. Like over pretty minor things historically, like in embarrassment. And it turns out that because that's just like, you know, it's just an honor code. Like what happened in the last 15 years with all the insane political stuff that we've had, just like you folks have had, is that ministers went, yeah, I fucked up. But um, I was just, checks notes, uh, thinking about the will of the people. And I don't feel that embarrassed. I'm not going to resign. And then it turned out that, you know, people can just, it, it basically turns out people can do whatever the fuck they want because there's no rules about anything. And then people have gone, oh, fuck. Yeah, I could. Turns out writing stuff down has some value and we've also seen that the like you know um, right to protest is the big one in the uk where essentially like the government did loads of really unpopular shit so people protested and then they're like yeah we're just going to say you can't protest within like 500 meters of parliament then a mile of parliament then blah 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 and, and that's why like you know the stuff like the fucking the six-toed pony fuckers that they've just you know the new guy the fucking band um uh, uh, king charles fucking thank you for the fucking history of not laws that exist um your microphone has an issue by the way so sure most of us only caught about fuck all of that yeah it's uh, like okay, cool. uh yes it's it keeps cutting out micro cutouts i want it known that history time with the fray is like my favorite time of game of nodes and this half the reason why i sign on at least half the reason why i sign on now you're muted so I mean, there. half the reason that's yeah, that's very, very generous, you'll see. But, um, but yeah, okay. I mean, I would, I would, I think, I think the mic should be working. Anyway, we've we've got we've got the real funk here. Let's 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 stop talking about the British political process because it's really depressing, uh, and the fact that we don't have a bill of rights. So we did have the only okay. So the only bit of bill of rights we did have, we had like the European one, um, uh, and the European Human Rights Act, and then we Brexited, and now they're just trying to throw it out. So we we we, we didn't got, we don't got shit. Um, no shit. Yeah. Have you even <laughs> Brexited yet? It's like yeah, a yeah, work. Yeah, in, it's a whip, right? 
yeah it's it's yeah it's just fucking yeah fuck those guys people who people who wanted brexit fucking stupid that's the tldr um but the, but a lot of the people who wanted things like that basically wanted to erode personal rights and liberties and freedoms because the only place they were written down was in european law so they go like oh well we can just we, we don't want workers rights we don't want working time directive we don't want all that stuff we just leave europe and then we can just abolish those laws um environmental standards being another one food standards is another one that people get pissed off about because they have mates that run big multinationals where the food standards are shit you know it's it's always key bono right um you know not the guy from the U- u2 but the, the thing anyway um the youtube <laughs> the, the, the u2 <laughs> um and then um hey aside but the story of the construction of the u2 very very interesting recommend looking it up I'm going to do drill three of the week and let's talk to funky when we're still less than 10 minutes in. So if we can get to talking to our guests before 10 minutes are up, then Bendy won't, won't give me loads of shit via, via DM. We haven't even done the news. I tell you what, I'll do drill three of the week. You can do news now. Then we'll talk to funk deal. Let's do it. All right. Okay. Okay. The, The tweet of the week is from the section marked sorrow. And it just says, belittle me call me shit throw hair at me i mean that's like a way of life did you know that the what's it called the furry con in pittsburgh had like fifty thousand people there this year that's kind of unrelated but throwing something about throwing hair and belittling me like those two connected for me is that your persona furry con furry con is like where a bunch of furries go to you know a conference and have like orgies and stuff. So this year in, in Pittsburgh, there was like 50,000 attendees. For those of us who don't know, can you just like uh, explain just a little bit what a furry is? Like, So you, no, you have no, no context what a furry know. is. Oh my God. Okay. So oh, a furry. For the people who don't know. People know. Surely. <laughs> Surely. Uh, the, real, the real question now is what is your fursona? Furry persona? Now I'm, I'm making some guesses here as to what a, furry actually is but if anything i would have to say i'm probably like what are those like rat looking things with the long beaks but they're pretty cute and they fucking roll over when you pat them a possum no a uh it's like a capoeira a capybara capybara that's like a that's that's like a japanese thing right no no capybara is like south american they have quite a, a a blunt snout. There's in fact one in the end in the end title card of Game of Notes. The capybara there jumps is. into the pool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd be a capybara, but but, but you'd also be like human sized, <laughs> right? Because the the, the outfits. Yeah, so I'd have not, an I don't, don't know if you've ever seen these outfits. They're not particularly. They're not really like supposed to be like. Um, what's the What's the word that I'm looking for about? accurate to a to the morphism of a creature anatomical yeah. anatomically correct they're very impressionistic that's that's a way of putting it <laughs> so uh, li- liberties have been taken with regards to design yeah would you not I, like okay, i don't mean this is like a rude this is not a rude hot take now but do you not think that you would be more of like a bird than a mammal or maybe a marsupial <laughs> Why a bird? That might have been a bird, actually. (laughs) Should we see that last (laughs) one there? Australia. Australia. I don't get it. Maybe I'm missing the context of what furries. I don't don't fucking know what a furry is. Okay, so a furry is someone who basically like 
dresses up like an animal to because they're like sexually attracted to them i guess i don't know it's necessarily like they're attracted to animals so much as like the idea of like having sex with a anamorphic or yeah uh looking fox so if you look up like a furry costume they're basically like in cosplay but intended to be like semi-sexualized it's super fascinating like subculture um and and the fray you think i would be a fucking bird (laughs) yeah maybe i could see that (laughs) okay all right i mean Uh, it's very common fox is very popular Uh, i don't know how to reflect this conversation in the spreadsheet uh Good luck. I, I've actually <laughs> lost the spreadsheet this week. It's it's, it's been a, it's been chaos. It's, it's been renamed to something absolutely ridiculous. It it, it took a little bit to find it. It oh, still yeah, says that was game things. of nodes, but it's podcast corporate goals in OKRs. I don't know what a fucking OKR is. Oh, that's thanks to Rama. Oh, and uh, uh, an OKR. It's an uh, ob- objective key result, I believe. Oh, I feel right. like Shelsea yeah, may have also been on the receiving end of some OKRs in his time. Oh, you better believe it. At Acorns, like every literally every week, we would talk about OKRs at an all hands every week. So my answer is easy. I'd be a quokka because that's what Rama said my animal would be for the corporation. So if I'm going to be a furry, I figure a quokka. What is what? perfect one? That's an Australian. Google it. So like. Actually, it was a first a friend had suggested it, and he said just something about the way you constantly smiling and laughing. You remind me of a quokka, and I was like, "What the hell is a quokka?" As soon as you Google, wow. it, see the image, <laughs> you're gonna laugh. And then, so Rama made the quokka for me for my corporation PFP when I first joined the corporation as a lowly intern. That's glorious. Those are <laughs> those are some good animals. <laughs> Wait, is this is this is like a little marsupial? I think I think it is a marsupial, but I'm not 100 percent sure. It's yeah, it's a marsupial yep. from Australia, right? That's the. This is such an Australian word as well. It's the small macropod, about the size of a cat. It is um. this is a marsupial. It's just like that Simpsons episode, isn't it? Where they go to, I think they go to Australia, don't they? And they say like, they're trying to like Bart or Lisa sees like a bird or something and goes, Oh, that's a, you know, and names the bird, what it actually is, a sparrow, whatever. And this Australian person goes like, you call that a sparrow? Ah, I called it a chuzwaza. And you're like, that's about right. No, okay. Null is, I see Null is tiring with this. Would you like to do the news, Null? Oh yeah. So, uh, well, <laughs> I mean, we've never, we've never done the news before, but, you know, I feel like I feel like you know people might want to know about the news. I mean, I don't have any like news that's. I mean, really I don't have any news, but like contextually irrelevant to like anything. But <laughs> uh, so in the supermarket last night, uh, a local resident went crazy and just started assaulting people. Oh, we mean the news. The right news. <laughs> You know, someone said, I think it was, I can't remember who it was the other day. Someone sent me a, um, a video like, uh, you know, just to my, my messenger. And they sent me a link to a video of like some woman just going fucking batshit nuts in, uh, like a local supermarket from my hometown. And they're like, is this what people are like in your town? I'm like, it's what people are like everywhere, man. 
who wouldn't be crazy these days? But I uh, know. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the the big news in crypto in like the last day is that Bitcoin breaks $30,000. Hurrah. Yeah, I just learned about that. Juno bags in the slides. So wait, are we, are we rich again? No. No, no shit coins are still oh, worth we're still in the poorhouse. Yeah, yeah. Damn. But uh, really I believe that, um, you know, after Gary Gensler fucking took a nuclear bomb to everything, there are now like some, uh, what do they call them? Like investment houses? What do they call like BlackRock and that? What do they call investment houses? Hedge funds. Hedge funds. Hedge funds, yeah. So they are, you know, uh, what's I don't know what the word is, like quietly confident about getting through their Bitcoin ETF because apparently they've got a pretty good hit rate. So anyway, everyone got excited about that. Uh, and so ETH and Bitcoin are up, which is handy. So I think I think ETH's back to about where it was before the Gary Gensler is, bullshit. Well, is that Bitcoin because Gensler basically said the one, the one thing you literally can't regulate is Bitcoin? So everybody went, Bitcoin's YOLO, full yeah, YOLO. Yeah, I don't know. Like, Let's the, the whole Casino's back on, market. lads. The whole market, the, menu. the whole market, sort of went up with it, sort of like a lot of things did. Even ETH went up with it. So, well, I think that Gensler specifically called Bitcoin a commodity, which yeah. is easier to get through as an ETF than you know a security. So, if the head of the SEC says, "Hey, it's a commodity," then you can just be like, "Ah, oh, well, funny thing, I could go for an ETF for that." And so then that pumped that, which brought everything else up with it. I think. So there is, um, like, I've got a friend who's a Bitcoin miner and, um, like, he likened it to cows. He said, like, you know, a Bitcoin's like when you've got cattle and then you get a new cattle born. It's, like, not out of anything. It's just new. And I didn't quite understand what he was talking about. But uh, apparently there's a lot of farms out there making bitcoin <laughs> um he i'm not was sure i follow the analogy so i i've just been a bunch of a bunch of uh, i'm gonna say altcoins rather than shit coins oops uh i said it anyway um yeah, you're, well, right, you're right now, now almost right. everything is positive because everything's positively correlated with bitcoin anyway but like actually almost everything is you know even if it's two percent three percent one percent Lots and lots of things have had a, a good 24 hours, actually. Um, like literally, if you go in, in your trading, not that you should trade, not financial advice, whatever, but like in whatever you use to look at crypto prices, if you have a view that sees all of them and you flick it to seven days, you'll see blah, 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 mostly, and then a little, a little sign of life at the end. So, no, you're right. Fair play. Yes, but you know. This happens occasionally, and it'll probably be uh, short-lived. There's the pessimism we needed. I think it's going to get. I think it's going to give us some footing. I mean, it, Black BlackRock is the largest asset manager in the world. You know, they got like nine trillion. Their their hit rate on ETF approvals is like five hundred seventy something to one. You know, and I think that's why you immediately saw all the others following their lead, right? Like there's a bunch of fast follows from other ETF companies piling in, trying to get in on the action. So you know, whether or not this is I'm not saying we can't go lower, but I just see it as a sign of a new higher low, and you know maybe beginning an uptrend. I mean, it. I mean, it, if they do get one through, I feel like it would be great. It'd be a, like a pretty good step forward into, you know, 
crypto becoming more mainstream with investors, I guess, or like, you know, seen as something a little bit more legitimate than, you know, nerds playing with imaginary money. So what you're saying is buy Bitcoin, not financial advice. Uh, I'm not saying anything of the like. I, welcome to game of nerds weekly podcast on how to speed run going to jail insider <laughs> trading what about though it's well hang, hang on a second. okay but but imagineer imagineer a narrative with me here uh shortly if it's a commodity it, do you can you still go to jail for saying on the podcast that you should buy bitcoin hypothetically not financial advice uh well i mean i think there's different levels of going to jail right there's you're an enemy of the state and we don't like you so we're going to put you in jail and not give you charges yet so that you kind of aren't on the books like we have a large history of that in the u.s and i think you could still fill under that category if you push bitcoin enough they'd be like all right well he's trying to like undermine the dominance of the u.s dollar in the world so so do you think that's going to happen to cz then CZ. If they could get their hands on him, it would not surprise me if that happened. But they generally do that for for more cases that are that are that are less um, public. So maybe they wouldn't. Hard to say. Uh, to borrow a line from Monty Python, nobody expects the extraordinary rendition. Um, that was a, <laughs> quite a niche war on terror joke, I guess. Um, so Bitcoin, thirty thousand dollars. Happy days. We're Maybe not in the poorhouse forever, but still are in the poorhouse now. Good still to know. firmly, firmly in the poorhouse. Good to know. I mean, to be fair, I'm also looking at this chart, and then if you zoom out to <laughs> to one year, and that percentage, that percentage is not in. It's 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 a big, it's a big L, fellas. It is DNR did not register. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, would would I think I think in general across the the assets that we have some exposure to as a company, it looks like yeah, we're, we're down like ninety nine percent in value over the last year, give or take. So, did, did none of you guys hold any Bitcoin at all, like personally? To Cosmos, I sold my Bitcoin, my Bitcoin years ago. Um, sold sold almost all of my ETH as well. Oh wow. Funky, do you do, do you some. hold uh, do you hold coins in the you know the bigger ecosystems? Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, like a, a big, I'm I'm still a Bitcoiner, I guess. I mean, like primarily Bitcoin and ETH that makes up the majority of our portfolio. I mean, it's just I used to get teased a lot during the bull run, like because I'm grandpa and I have like, oh, you have Bitcoin <laughs> and Ethereum, and I'm like, who's laughing now? <laughs> I mean, your shit melted down completely. Mine's melted down a, a little less. Yeah, some people's have melted uh, to the ground. Yours is like, you know, like one of those, uh, you know, toys that sort of melted, but it's still like vaguely a shape of some description. Yeah. You're like at that stage, ours is just a pile of goo on the ground. I mean, I guess the thing is like it's worth, I like I always think of this as like when I first bought Bitcoin, well, I first got paid in Bitcoin actually with some work. Bitcoin was £145, which at the time would have been about $200, right? Um, I had like a Bitcoin, something like that. I don't know. And then when I next when I next bought it, it was about seventeen hundred dollars, I think. And then uh, I then sold that you know sometime later. Blah 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 blah. But 
at no but like if you look at the macro there's obviously like so if you look at the micro there's obviously times when it was below each of those prices after i had that asset but like if you look at the long-term chart like it just the interest in the the asset because it is the just the name reckon so like even like it was around that time around 2013 i bought a bunch of dogecoin because i was like ah, I've, I've cracked this crypto thing the asset doesn't matter. It's just about brand recognition. And I bought like 10, 20,000 Doge, something like that for like about three quid when I was drunk. And then, but then it's all about holding it to the right fucking time. Right. Because years later I was like, this, this Doge thing really, it really isn't moving. And then of course, fucking it did. I, so I, I can do right one better there. I have college. never traded into a winner ever uh, in my life. I have not ever made a trade on crypto that has like yielded me any kind of profit as a, as a company every time we've shifted from one cryptocurrency to another to change our risk profile we have in, in fact in the long term made our situation worse every single time we've tried to calculate something <laughs> but on an individual level i have only made money from crypto <laughs> and including trading but then i'm i'm not a trader i am like a get a thing hold on to it for three five years it's just some of those trades like i sold my doge for a profit obviously easy when you bought it for three quid did i sell it for the whatever thousands of pounds it would have eventually been no no i did not you know. so partial match says uh look at PayPay, and PayPay is up 57 percent. is it wow that's <laughs> a huge it's, <laughs> it's the top performer out of the the, the big 100 PayPay. Here come the memes. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, we we have, we have done notoriously bad in uh, in crypto trading, but I am at the moment trying to be, build like a little bit of a uh, an ETH bag because we've never really held any of the top uh, cryptos as a um, as a company, so sort of just like DCAing into some some ETH at the moment, but maybe like we'll look at some Bitcoin. I don't know. So Jesus, ETH at the moment, the price is like the price I sold it for in like 2019 or something when I got rid of most of my, my, my ETH. So I bought ETH back in like the, the last bull before the last one. So it was like 2000 and. I don't know, 17 around there or something like that for like two grand. And then uh, I held it all the way through the bear market and just sort of forgot about it. And then um, I do this, I, I, I used to do this thing uh, where like every month I would just like add up the total, uh, you know, equity of each of my investments and house and retirement fund and everything just to like keep an eye on my position that I'm trying to grow, see if I'm going backwards or not. And, um, yeah, like around, you know, when COVID was around like 2020, I noticed that like my XRP and uh, and ETH was like starting to come back up again. And I think I actually sold them both at a, at a profit, which the government was really happy about. Um, but uh, anyway, I did get out of them and then only just recently decided to get back in. Seems like we're like a fairly way into a bear market now, so it might be sort of around, you know, an area where it might be okay to buy it. Um, yeah, but I did almost buy Bitcoin like back in 2000 and I want to say 15, 16 when, uh, I, I'd just gone back to like my hometown 
and um, I was just, you know, meeting up with some people. This is like I came back from the mines and I went back to my hometown. It was like just about the time. The when- Yabba. Hey. The Yabba. The Yabba. First time in the Yabba. The Yabba. Anyway, I, I was working in the mines over in Western Australia and I, I came back home and um, I was just meeting up with like friends that I hadn't seen in ages. And um, one of my mates at the time, well, still is, was a, a Bitcoin miner. And um, I met up with him at the pub and we we're just having a yarn about, you know, investment and stuff. And he's like, oh, you should should look into uh, Bitcoin. And I'm like, mm, mm, I don't know about that. <laughs> and uh, anyway, he convinced me to like make an investment into Bitcoin. And um, with the the exchange over here in Australia, like there wasn't many at the time. Um, and probably the bigger one was BTC markets. And at the time you had to like sign up and then they would send you a thing in the mail with a code on it. And then you had to enter the code and then you could make your account. I guess it's like some sort of proof of address bullshit. Um, and so I did that process and then I like I signed up and then I went away to Queensland for a little bit. And I came back and I got the code. And at the time, I think Bitcoin was like $200 uh, Australian. And I put the code in and then it's like, your code's expired. You got to do it again. So I went through the fucking... So I, I'd committed to make like a like a 50000 Australian dollar um, investment at the time. It was like a, probably, you know, a, a good portion of like my portfolio, not not half, but like a good portfolio portion at the time and um anyway so i was pissed off about that i did the account thing again i waited for the fucking thing to come in the mail i put it in again by that time bitcoin was like two grand and i'm like ah missed the boat <laughs> and then, so I, I left it and then that's so if you bought right. those at two hundred dollars right now you wouldn't need this you wouldn't need this validator bullshit and we wouldn't be here look Let's face it. So in some senses, right, the validator thing is you missing the boat on not only Bitcoin, but also Bitcoin mining. And it's the FOMO that drives you, Noel. So it let's wakes face you it. up first thing in the morning with a fiery, tight heat in your belly. You're like, ah, if I If I had bought that it. Bitcoin at $200, I would almost certainly have sold it at $400. <laughs> Yep. No, well, that's what I did with my Ethereum that I bought for, but yeah, about about a hundred pounds, something like that. Um, I had a bunch. It got. I saw it go up to a thousand pounds that first time in like 2016, 2017, where it just ran up like crazy and then like crashed overnight. And then it was like what four years or something until it went up again. And the second it went back past that marker, where I was like, "That's as high as it got last time." Like, I don't know. I let it go up a bit more and was like, Phew. "We're at the edge of my risk here." dump the shit coin and then uh you know obviously it went up to four times that amount so you're like well eh but you're like it's still a think it's still a fucking hundred hundred percent thousand percent return thousand percent return um 10x. so yeah yeah so a thousand percent because a hundred percent would be if you made had a hundred dollars and you got two hundred dollars that'd be a hundred percent right yeah I, I feel like the plebes have a hard time conceptualizing a thousand percent though yeah, it's much easier to say 10x for them. Yep, yeah, 10x if you like. Um, <laughs> I got some. The best one I got though is you know, did you ever use um, Keybase back in the day? They just airdropped you like a few thousand Stellar years really? ago. I don't know. Yeah, that. like 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 2018 maybe. 
something like that, just totally for free. You just had to claim it. You just had to have a wallet. And then I literally just immediately threw it over into Kraken and was just like price notification on my phone. Maybe it'd be worth something someday. And then that was one where I did actually sell it at a profit. I think, yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously it's from zero, but the based on where the price was when I got it to when I sold it, I think that would have been a hundred maybe even a thousand X. Partial match remembers the key base claim. The only airdrop I've ever gotten in the like, you know, big crypto sphere. When I, when I say big crypto sphere, I mean, you know, basically everything else other than Cosmos. Was, you mean uh, Thunderdome from Mad Max? Yeah. Uh, so I did get an optimism um, airdrop. So here's a funny story. I used to listen to uh, this podcast called, um, fuck, what was it? Game of No is a weekly podcast on the Cosmos by independent validated teams. Don't forget to like and subscribe. (laughs) Plug. So this was a daily, right? This was a daily podcast. uh, And I honestly can't remember what the fuck it was called anymore. But um, I used to really like it. It was just like a little bit of a snapshot of, um, you know, the previous day really in crypto and what was happening. Um, in the big cryptosphere. And it was actually um, Yuri from Friends Validator was like the person who did this every day Um, and his uh, business partner, uh, who I can't remember the name of right now. Um, But uh, it was really good. And one day he was like, uh, so Optimism uh, got released and he's like, Optimism's released, and if it's like anything like anything else in that sort of sphere, there's a good chance that if you use it at some point, you probably get an airdrop if they ever create a token. And I was like, huh, that's a good idea. So I pulled over in my car, which I was driving, so I always listen to this in the car, and uh, got out my laptop and like sent across a dollar in uh, from ETH to um, Optimism, which cost me like $10, and then made a trade. And then couldn't send it back because I didn't have enough money to send it back to like Ethereum anyway. And um, fast forward like a year and a half, and uh, Optimism had a token that they they launched, and uh, we got an airdrop of like I think it's worth like three grand now, US. So I mean that was cool. Thanks, Yuri. So wait, <laughs> that's like uh, that is literally like a. Uh... 100x return, 1000x return, 1000x return, something like that. That would be like a 3000x return. Right. But it wasn't based on the dollar value. It was more based on like, oh, you used it. Here, have some. It was like, I think it was a function-based thing. Like you got a certain amount for like having token on there. You got like a certain amount for making a swap. You got like a certain amount for providing liquidity, et cetera. Um, One of those type, type ones. And I just got... I got pretty much the base, but I've still got it. I, I, I don't know what's worth. But here, I guess here's the interesting thing that you kind of realize, like if you've been in crypto for a while, like you know, I've been holding various since like 2011. Sounds like you've been in it for a long time. I think I think everybody in this podcast has like had some touch point with with this stuff for quite a long period of time. Is you realize like you know, no matter how much um, say Bitcoin goes up, right? It's you if you have one Bitcoin. You're not only in terms of volatile. So I guess people in TradFi have traditionally gone, oh, well, you know, it's super, super volatile. But like I saw when I was buying in 
you know, with no real strategy over the course of like seven, eight years and never really seemed to lose money as long as I didn't sell it emotionally. Um, you, you, your upside, your, sorry, your downside risk is actually pretty, pretty capped. Like it, it never seems to get like, as long as you, well, as long as you assume it will eventually recover, which eventually after every bear cycle, it does based on name recognition alone. This is not financial advice. Um, the, the, but the problem is the upside risk is also, so the upside bonus is also like super, super capped because you're only ever going to hold like one or two Bitcoin at most. And even when you, even when you bought in, in like 2012 or whatever, I mean, at that point I was fucking broke. I was, you know, junior engineer. Like what was I going to do with, didn't have like any, any profits profit, right? You're like, I need this for fucking beer and toast. Yeah. I need a fucking, I've got a, my fucking, I've only got a, a PS2 and it's bloody 2020, whatever it was, 20, 2012. I need a PS4 or whatever was the latest there. I probably still only have a PS4, but whatever. Anyway, not important. Like you look at Bitcoin and you're just like, the Bitcoin is less important than PS4 or gaming PC or whatever, clearly. Well, um, that's, that's kind of relevant to me. Well, you, you can finish story and then I'll, I'll tag in. Was well, so I was going to say, but this is the thing you realize when you, get more into the alts ecosystem and like the thing noel was saying with these airdrops or like stella which was the airdrop of a very very low value token that ends you you end up getting these returns that are like yeah three thousand x or something like that and you make a couple thousand dollars but it does make you realize that in order to replicate that success you would have had to go very big on an incredibly risky altcoin very early and hold like 30,000, 40,000 or something to get to the point where it's because there's like a very big difference between like life changing money is like really cool. Like, like bear in mind, I, I think 10 pounds is quite a lot of money because that's still just about two pints of beer in the part of the country I live in. If I see 10 pounds on the ground, that is my week fucking made. That's the caveat, right? That's, that's a lot of money to me. I am a fucking stingy bastard, but like a lot of money is like if some if you if you were able to earn with a trade or like holding some coins your yearly salary that's insane but what's when you start looking at like what's actually life-changing money in terms of like what real estate costs near to you if you wanted to like buy a house or something like that it's crazy how quickly you get from like where bitcoin was in 2012 where you could just like buy because it was only one or 2010 you could only kind of one coin you had to buy that and then hold that Versus like now, the incredible unlikelihood of you being able to pick a token, buy it early enough, buy it in the quantity enough, and then actually, like Null says, not sell it, not sell it when it doubled in value and be like, fuck, fuck, I'm out, I'm out, I'm out, I'm done. Like, it, it, that's the thing that always, like the level of optimism of retail investors in crypto always astonishes me whenever i reflect on that pattern that i've seen and like how how big those 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 bets would have to be i mean i guess i'm also projecting a very like living in an expensive country viewpoint onto it as well but i think if you had a bot that just bought like a hundred dollars of every new token that went into like the shitcoin reactor and then never looked at it never even looked at what the bot was buying and then just had like notifications set up for the bot when those balances exceeded a million dollars, I reckon you'd hit one at some point. So like the million monkeys, million typewriters approach. Yeah, exactly. But they're just automated monkeys. Shit. I think you're, you've basically described venture capital investment and that shit works. That, that shit works. Right, right. 
Yeah, but we're throwing this, fucking bananas. They're throwing is, like yeah. Rocket. This is this is uh, this is financial advice uh, from Null. Uh, just just so everybody's clear. It's definitely that sounded like that sounded like ring that sent set off the financial advice klaxon. It's financial advice. That was that was amusing like. by Null. So I'm I'm just entering a uh, an entry here. Uh, Forty one hundred financial advice. Oh, right. So you're updating the spreadsheet to make it clear that that was, in fact, financial advice. <laughs> ah, that's a, that's a break for a usurper to have to deal with, poor bastard. So, um, right, Chelsea, Funky, what were you saying? Funky, we've, we've made... Oh, sorry, Chelsea, go. Then I'll ask Funky the question. Oh, I was going to say, um, the description of, like, the comparison to, like, a PlayStation is super apt for me. I don't know if I've really talked about this on air before, but I've actually been in Bitcoin since, like, 2010, um, I used to trade it on for Diablo two items. So there was like, there's like this, this forum called D2JSP, which had like internet gold basically, but it wasn't like Bitcoin. It was like all in this one forum. Wait, wait, and wait. There's, oh, sorry. No, I, I'm not going to jump ahead. I got super excited. I made a connection with things that I know about you. And I was just like, oh my God, is this going to be the plot twist? And now I've realized that that might be the plot twist. I'm going to shut up. Okay. Uh, so it goes D2JSP. And through that is how I kind of got into software. Cause I used to be like one of the, like people who would write bots for Diablo. And then there was like the cyberpunk version of these guys, which would use Bitcoin. And I was one of those. And so at one point I'm in college for this. And I think I got, I got scammed out of like, like three or four Bitcoin, which at the time was like a dollar. But in college, that's like, that was like, that was like, you know, quarter hour of work or whatever. And I was like, this is some bullshit. Like I should be better than this. I've been playing this game for so long. I can't believe I got scammed. And like, I scrapped my wallet and I've actually looked back on it before. I haven't. I don't even know what it is now. And like, it's got like 150 Bitcoin on there. So oh, like, shit. my history of Bitcoin actually went really far back. And then that led led me to um, I mined Doge in 2014, and I had a little over a million of that, and sold that in 2017 for like 600 dollars or something. Um, so my history with Bitcoin is actually quite far, and go rolls back into gaming, and is kind of in a way like the start of the trajectory of my career. I thought you were going to say so. I thought you were going to say something about because I know you're into uh, collectibles. I thought this was going to be a plot twist around Magic the Gathering and Mount Gox, and I was going to be like, "No, oh no, God. I got out oh before God. then. I got out before then. No, and and I never was into to Magic the Gathering. I have Pokemon cards, not not Magic cards. Um, but that that's a did whole you have a other did you have a shiny Charizard? I'm sure I've asked this question before. So. Yes, I have. Um, I got rid of all of that stuff. I actually have like, I'm one of the few people with um, a couple of complete sets. So like there's kind of two versions of Pokemon cards. There's the Wizards of the Coast ones, which are the original ones. And then there's the late, after second generation, there's later ones. And after Wizards of the Coast sold, they made like one set and printed a very limited printing. So I have this one set that's like obscenely rare. I've only ever talked to one other person. And I used to be super active in like Pokemon card forms of like this one set of cards that is basically impossible to find so is that set of pokemon cards worth more than all of your collective crypto holdings no but it is quite close you did have to think about it though <laughs> yeah and I, I get offers on it on ebay very frequently even though it's quite expensive how did what you get offers on ebay what yeah because i sold is through ebay uh, it's not listed anymore, but I had it listed like two years ago and people still have it like somehow saved or something. And so they'll still send me messages like, hey, I know you had this posted. And I know you didn't sell it. So, yeah. 
So um, we're, we've hit the 45-minute mark and I uh, haven't talked to Funky yet. So, I mean, sort of following on from the conversations we've already been having, Funky, I mean, you haven't interjected, which is kind of what you have to do to get a word in edgewise on this podcast. Um, I would like to ask you so that you have the opportunity to speak, what was your entry point into crypto? How Was there a sad story like the rest of us? Uh, yeah. Or did you actually nail it first up? Yeah, I have two sad stories because Frey clearly was a Magic the Gathering player. And in 1998, when I moved to Florida, I basically financed my move by selling all of my Magic cards. And I'm talking, I had Moxes, Black Lotus, um, Forge Zams, you know, like, I mean, cards that, that, that were sad for sure. Tons <laughs> of money now. Um, I found a library of Alexandria one day in a deck that I, I didn't even think I still had. And I went and sold it for like 800 bucks to a dealer that was near me. Um, but anyhow, yeah, my crypto story was one of the smartest kids. I was a teacher for like 20 years before um, I came to my full-time role in Web3. And one of the smartest kids I ever taught, he was chosen out of a dozen students in the United States to go, it was like a state, a, a Department of State sponsored these 12 kids go to China, full immersion for a whole year. He was speaking Mandarin in ninth grade, like he was on the second semester. He came back, this is like circa 2012. Maybe he comes back in the spring of 2013, which is probably like that, first real big bull run for Bitcoin. And he tells me, he's like, have you heard of this Bitcoin thing? And I had just started investing, like opened Roth IRAs, maybe like a couple of years earlier. So I'm like a TradFi kind of like, I don't know anything. I look up stuff. I see Silk Road. I see drug dealing on the dark web. And I'm like, nope, not for me. So then in 2016, when I was teaching um, different group of kids and everything else, and this one kid who was explaining, he wanted to open a, a, a nonprofit and he wanted to do micro loans for people who didn't have any kind of money. He, he hated like Amscot and all these services that are just do this predatory lending. And so he wanted to do something on the blockchain. He explains to me blockchain. He explains distributed ledger technology. And I like the concept immediately clicks with me. I'm like, that's really cool. Like, you know, you're taking away all of the, you know, just having these nodes all over the place where the data can be found and whatnot. And he tells me about it. And I, so I help him set up his 5013C here in Florida. It's called, uh, it's called Fairpact. And he wanted to set up the nodes and stuff with him and his friends. Well, then springtime of his graduating year, 2017, now we're well into the bull run. And he comes up to me. He's like, hey, have you seen the price of Bitcoin? And I was like, no, what's, why do you care about Bitcoin? He said, Bitcoin, like that is the original, you know, distributed ledger technology. That is like the original working blockchain. And it was like, that's when it clicked. And I was like, okay, I understood sort of this powerful tech and this idea of decentralization that was really cool. But I didn't have the connection that it was Bitcoin. And so I just, you know, typical pleb, bought some Bitcoin. Um, bought some Ethereum, just kind of FOMO'd in, you know, like everybody else, you just, the euphoria takes over. You're like, ah, yeah, I'm making so much money. I'm never going to sell. My buddy sold like the day at the peak and went and bought a boat. He was smart. He's like a bank of America vice president. So he's a trad by guy. He's like, I don't trust this shit. Like I made a ton. I'm buying a boat. Um, and so then- I, I had a similar friend who I, I he worked, he worked for like one of the big American tech companies, did maths and physics at university, real big brain guy. and literally, he bought on the way in on the FOMO cycle and then literally like within two weeks was like, this shit's going to collapse again. Like, like, like your man got out, like pretty much at the top. It was like, shit, I can take two big ass holidays this year. I'm a fucking legend. And he has never touched crypto since. Like, it's just like, he's like, what are all you kids doing over there? And you're like, we're busy making money. He's like, you're busy making L's and I know it. <laughs> Yeah, I think I bought XRP at the peak, like for three something. And I even had to trade some Bitcoin to get XRP at the time. So um, and then I just hodled it into the ground, didn't really pay attention. 
And I would randomly, it's funny, I go back and look at my Coinbase history and I would just must be bored at school or something. I'm like, oh, I'm just going to buy a couple ETH. It looks cheap. Like, I mean, I, you know, I'd find these random buys in 2019 and 2020. And then I just kind of knew a little bit about, you know, COVID comes and I start having, you know, just like everybody else, I'm bored. There's a lot of time on our hands. So I start really researching. I'm like, what well, doesn't Bitcoin have this having thing? And so I knew the cycle was coming. So then we started to seriously invest and we were buying, like, I would say probably our average buy for ETH is, you know, our house basis might be like 400 bucks or something like across all time, just because of, we did a lot of accumulation in 2020, same thing for Bitcoin. And then the biggest genius play was buying options for all the Bitcoin miners in the summer of 2020 for like pennies and just watching that shit absolutely explode in a Roth tax-free. And it's like, Oh, okay. 50 grand. Thanks. Like just raking money off the table is kind of insane. Um, so getting ahead of the curve. And then I was just got into Polkadot for that same reason, because I was just doing research and I just happened to f- find sort of like this video, what is Polkadot with Dan Reeser and Bill LeBoon. And I read Gavin's like vision of interoperability. And that's kind of what drew me to, and this is why I like Cosmos, right? At the end of the day, I feel like we're all hurtling toward a multi-chain future where like all this stuff's going to talk to each other. Right. And people are probably not even going to know the names in 10 years about like what does what. Um, and so I just started with dot and then I, I actually had I started buying Cosmos when it was like four or five bucks. But then I sold it all in the bull run because I was married to my bags, like because I was just like, oh, poke it up. Never. I, I locked up most of it crowd loans. And, you know, now it's like I don't get staking rewards. It's still not even unlocked. So now then when the bear came again. We just started like DCAing into Bitcoin and Ethereum for the most part. And then when Bitcoin got past like 25K, we just started putting our DCA dollars to um, Adam and now AVAX. I'm getting a little bit because the subnets are coming. So anything that offers interoperability is kind of, I'm a big fan of placing small bets, knowing that one of them is going to have an asymmetric payoff, right? Like I would still say that in the bull run previously, the two best bags that we had, which were not big allocations in terms of money uh, in the winter of 2020, I, bought Matic for like two cents and I bought Solana for like two bucks and those ripped well above anything else that ha- that we held through the bull and then of course do stupid things too like the mistake that I learned a lot during the most recent bull run was buy the dip because of being a Bitcoiner and my wife's like we need the next like full coin and so like it would dip and I would just be like and I had ever been peeling profits into stables and it's like Oh, buy the dip. And you know, you spend like five grand to buy like a tenth of a Bitcoin. And I was like, I was dumb. Like I look back on it now, it's like that was dumb. But then there's also like this really funny disconnect when it's magic internet money, like when you have stable coins, and, it, and the same thing explains my NFT de- degeneracy because it's just like it's not real money. Like if you said, Oh, this costs X and I was gonna take it on my checking account, I'd be like, You're fucking kidding. Like you must be insane. But if it's magic internet money, like your brain is just like your reptilian brain is the only thing that plugged in. It's like Okay, that works. You know, it's just I'm just yeah, recycling. If you found like fifty, if you found like fifty bucks on the floor, you'd be like, "Holy shit, this is the yeah. best day!" And if somebody was like, "Hey, you can you can spend that fifty bucks on this NFT," you'd be like, "Go fuck yourself." Yeah, now nah, <laughs> I'm going to the pub. Yeah, if it's fiat, yes, I, I pretty much, and that's why, like, so my even I was bad and I was guilty, like when I first came to Cosmos back in January and started like watching you guys and. Um, just like meeting people and I got to stargaze and it was game over because I was like, I'm in the coffee, the cosmos coffee house. I love that little social group. They're a great group of folks. And like every time I would DCA into Adam, I just kept converting it to stars and buying NFTs. Like it was terrible for the first few months. And I finally like, just like, okay, I gotta stop like buying NFTs. 
have my little wallet. Now I'm just going to put this atom on the stake and let it do its thing over you know the course of time. So there's my story as condensed as possible. So when you say you're like, and and sorry, I don't actually know much about you, Funky. I, I haven't like researched you or anything. But um, so when you say you're like full time in crypto now, what does that look like? Are you like, um, are you a full time investor or are you like you work for actually some crypto company somewhere? Yeah. So um, I'm the director of fellowship and protocol relations with Lucky Friday Labs and Lucky Friday. We're an infrastructure provider like you guys. Um, so we run bare metal that we own in SOC 2 data centers. Like we have a secondary brand that's kind of more positioned toward institutional investors. And now when we run a lot of ETH validators and we're starting to test out Eigenlayer and stuff like that. Um, and so the Lucky brand, Lucky Friday brand is more like just community support. Um, so we started in the Polkadot ecosystem because our co-founders, same thing. We're very bullish on the whole idea of interoperability. And then we just thought like, okay, Cosmos is the next most logical step. So let's go over there. And so part of like my interest in Cosmos is both personal and professional because like, that's my job. Like, Oh, go meet like all I, I, if I were to sum up my job, it's like, I'm the super friendly dude who shows up realizing I'm the dumbest guy in the room and just likes to ask tons of questions because like I I am the least technical person on the team, but I'm a self-professed nerd. I cannot tell you how much joy it brought me to know that I was going to be on episode number 67 because it's a prime number. And I taught math. I'm just fucking weird like that. So I mean, you're, um, too, you're too off. You're too off the one that everybody wants, though. I, but I don't even care because that's not prime. It's a dirty composite. <laughs> so, like I just, um, but yeah, I just think at the end of the day, like that's kind of what I do is just go in, meet a lot of people. I mean, I was a teacher for 20 years, so I'm just very much like a people person. Um, you know, I, I do a morning meditation so Ramra can fall asleep to my soft quaka voice. You know, I, so I, I was a yoga teacher. I don't know if you guys can see it, but there's like pads and blocks there. Um, so, and you know, we're doing a lot of other things Like we just launched our first NFT. So like the hat I'm wearing is called Teddy Dow. We actually got covered in coin desk yesterday. It was a big day. Um, and so it's strictly for charity. Like if you guys have heard of just giving, it's a big online platform. It's the second biggest online donation platform. We've been partnered with them for almost a year and it's just so time consuming to, and, and just the little things that they want, all the I's dot and the T's cross when you're dealing with a web two company to kind of integrate all this where, so now we have, it's kind of like a pilot. We're going to launch on Friday where people can bid on the teddy bear. They can choose the charity of their choice and the just giving network. If they win the bear, all the money, we don't take anything. All the money goes to the charity with, well, with the exception of like a 1.9% cut for just giving. Cause they, you know, for the B2B fee to run their network and whatnot. So we're just trying to do things where like our, my co-founders, Rich and Tom, the two guys who started the company, they've been, they run a small VC fund. So Lucky Friday is like the operating company of the VC fund. And they started like when the dot-com bubble burst, these guys met in the late nineties together, super interesting guys, great mentors, a little older than me. And they basically, uh, a big thing for them is just giving back. That's why we did this first NFT, uh, project as charity focused. Um, like one of the co-founders loves digging wells and, and developing countries. And he's a big proponent of education. He runs a couple charter schools here in Florida that do dual language. So yeah, I mean, my job is now to just sit on discord and telegram and all these other things all day and 
I get to hang out every Wednesday. I mean, as you guys have seen me laughing, like that's me, like every Wednesday when I'm watching this show, I'm like cracking up to myself, commenting. Sometimes I wonder like, am I annoying them because I'm commenting so damn much? Um, but you know, it's been, you guys have been such a huge you help. enough, you get on the show. That's, that's pretty much how it works. It's just, <laughs> we, we, the thing is, right. You live the Yorp. Okay. You know, we, we all we're doing out. is yorping. If other people are yorping, <laughs> It's where, yeah, where is our York merch? I'm pretty sure this was on, speaking of OKRs, I'm pretty sure this is one of Usurper's OKRs for this quarter. Um, I think you're right. I literally, I saw a mock-up as well. I fucking and it looks so good. I saw it was like, I'd buy that right now. I, I'm like, I'm like, literally, we clearly have t-shirt people. We have t-shirt organization. We have places we can buy this shit now. It's the question of how a mock-up exists. Usurp has done the work and yet we still haven't got it printed. I don't know. There must be a breakdown in our process here. We, we should get in some management consultants to work out where the blockages are in our organization here. You know, really... <laughs> fucking streamline that guy so so funky like we need my, more stand-ups for sure <laughs> we just we just need more stand-ups or the game of nodes uh uh maybe 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 hartnell's right if game of nodes was the dow we could just put up a prop and get this all resolved get some get some do you know what, actually i hate to say it but actually if we had some stable coin in the treasury and all if it was possible for us to get to the point of laziness of just firing over a few stable coins to print.com or whatever to get the t-shirts we could probably just about all sign with a ledger in a week or so couldn't we to get that shit print printed i feel like we should do it just for the fun of it it feels like it feels like this should be a thing um is this the dump shit coins uh mock-up is that what we're talking about no, uh, no this the is yop the, up shill down yeah there was oh, like yeah, a, the yop up shit down yeah. there was usurper posted a thing where it's like an old school almost like an olympic like a, like a 1980s American Olympic style T-shirt <laughs> with a bunch of shit. It was it was very fun. Like it, it was like was it just like Yorp Yorp? Was it just like Yorp in multiple colors, or was it like? And I had some other. I don't know. I can't do it scroll justice. Back look now. I can't do it justice. It looked fucking cool. Um, there is Game of Known's merch. This shit does exist, and somehow we've not finished it and printed it. So apologies to those that that do. It want exists it. in conceptualization only. It, it exists in, fo- in 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 Adobe. Um, what's it called? What's the one that's not in design, not Photoshop? Illustrator. Um, Illustrator for vectors. Yeah, it exists in Usurper's copy of Adobe Creative Cloud um, Illustrator, and thus could be no with veto. No with v- Usurper just jumps in the chat. <laughs> it says no with veto. That's what the T-shirt says. Um, so. But back to my question, I got very excited about the merch and then forgot the question that I was going to ask Funky. So Funky, from a business perspective, so there's like business development and stuff is like a big part of, of kind of what you're doing. So what, when you look at the Cosmos um, as an organization, like what, what do you, you see as the primary opportunity for yourselves as a business? Is it that you need to evaluate further to work out what the angle is and what the value add here is? It, is it more about knowledge of the, inst- uh, the of the ecosystem so that you can guide the institutional side of the business like what what part is it that you i mean if it's not like privileged business information no it's not it's say, not no it's like, not at all I what mean, is that what is the kind of thing that you guys you folks are seeing kind of as the opportunity or like the thing that you're most interested in from that side of things i mean ultimately i think it's going to be big picture just a marketing opportunity right like the more chains that we can demonstrate to clients that we're on we're active in we're participating i'm a huge like governance nerd and so like that's why when schultz brought up the 
the stuff about Aptos and, you know, separating the validator. And, and that's something that I've talked about, like Jake was on a space. So, um, so you guys would what, acquire a, a bag on a chain to participate in, guys, in, in governance, like to, to be there, or would you run infrastructure as well? No, run infrastructure. So like, but, but that's one thing that I think I like about Cosmos is just that you know, much like Polkadot, like governance is a serious issue. And I think that our co-founders see on-chain governance as something going to be very important in the future. So like a future business unit that I think they want to develop is having sort of a consultancy for institutional players who don't have the time, right? Just like we delegate votes now to people. If if you're an inactive person, but you want to kind of take part in governance, like in Polkadot, you can delegate to certain groups or individuals. You kind of do it by default, by just staking with a particular, uh, you're, you're delegating your stake to the validator, which you can still go, of course, and override, you know, the, the validators vote with your own. But most people don't even pay attention, right? Like if it's something like it's a hot issue, I'll sometimes go on Kepler and like, oh, you know, I'll read about it. Um, and then I'll maybe sometimes go against the validator. But it, it's very rare when I do. So I think it's just for us getting our name out there. And um, we, we're not on many chains. And I, you know, and I actually do want to kind of just say thank you to Schultze. Like he bailed us out one time when we fell out of the active set on stride. And I was just like beating the bushes, looking for delegations. And so like, does anybody have any to help? And I know Stride is eventually going to be an ICS chain. And so like the, the validators aren't going to be, they're going to be called governors or something else. Right. I think so. Um, but, you know, and I emailed Schulte. That was another thing too. Like we're just looking, we always try to go into any ecosystem and add value however we can. And so like, we're still trying to wrap our heads around that in terms of like, what can we do to help the cosmos? Like you guys, for instance, we're talking about an episode way back probably around the time all the stuff like the Confio stuff was happening. It was one of the first episodes I was listening to. And you guys were talking about how like Pokachu is the only one that has like all the snapshots for like the different chains and stuff like that. And our CTO, you know, and Pokachu, you guys probably know this, he kind of, I think got his start in Polkadot and the Polka. Um, and our CTO will, he actually wrote like the Polkadot wiki for best validation practices, like how to avoid slashing and everything else. So like he sat on the Kusama council, he knows Pokachu. And so like, I said, why don't we do something like that? Like have a redundancy, like let's create some kind of repository where we can have snapshots for people. Just, you know, we want to do something. And that's why I was asking Schultze, like how do we run relayers? That seems to be sort of an important piece of the infrastructure that people kind of ignore, you know? And I just picked that up from a few tweets that I had seen on, you know, my TL from, from Schultze, you know, that people that not everybody who runs validators runs relayers because it's not directly incentivized. And of course, then you're having to spend your own money, which eats into your own business, of course, because, you know, I mean, just look at the state of the market. And I think what's tough for you guys to swallow, you know, is just like how, like, I don't know if it's because the tokens are so inflationary, but just some of them just continue to bleed and bleed and bleed and bleed. And so, and, you know, like we're not on many chains, um, you know, we're, we have aspirations for the hub, of course, but like, we know that that's a big, like we try as, be- as much as possible not to do too much Delta risk, not to like buy our way into a set. A few times we got really lucky, like where I pointed out things ahead of time, like stride when it was still relatively cheap. I'm like, get in this one. Like we could, so we, you know, I think they bought like $6,000 worth of stride when it was whatever it was, 30, 40 cents or something like that. And so we got into the active set, but, you know, if you look on any of the ones that we're running, we're, we tend to be lower down in the set, right? Like, so Quicksilver, Persistence 1, I think that was like the first one we were on. Um, Stride, we're not very high up in the set. Canto, for some reason, like, 
somebody plunked down a ton on us. Like we, we were low in the set and then we went up to like 30 something on Canto for some reason. So, but at the end of the day, that's what the lucky Friday brand is all about. It's just, I think, so we can kind of support an ecosystem in a way by giving them, you know, I mean, there's tons of cloud providers. It seems like that's sort of a, a differentiator, just offering like a bare metal service and then just trying to have that institutional grade hardware where we're running in those SOC 2 data compliant, et cetera. It's like, that's kind of, we just hired a guy from Coinbase, you know, a few months back, who's our institutional strategist. So he has all these relationships with custodians. And so he's organizing deals with us and we're having conversations with custodians and then, you know, to become a preferred staking provider. We're about to open like another data center in Phoenix, like on the West side. So we have Phoenix, we have, we're on the East coast, Amsterdam's coming online soon. Our mission is to of course be global, you know, just decentralized from a geolocation standpoint, but then have everything like, and the the guys who, because of the legacy of the co-founders, like the people who run our infrastructure, these dudes are no joke. Like they've done stuff for the department of defense for the FBI. (laughs) These guys are like, I just feel like, how did I get here? That's, that's like every day I wake up and I'm like, how did I get this job? (laughs) Why am I here? So yeah, I guess that's the big picture is just trying to get in to kind of get on other chains. And that way we can turn around and market to larger players. Like, Hey, we run on X chains and we've had a ton of growth. We run on at more than half the parachains in Polkadot. We have Polkadot validators, Kusama validators. Um, so you also said that you've got uh, like institutional stuff as a part of the, the business model and that's like ETH as well and stuff. Like what do you reckon is like the rough like percentage split of like of ecosystems? Is it like 80% uh, Polkadot and then 20% ETH and, and then like, wait, that would be 100% already. Like 10% ETH and then like 5% miscellaneous stuff and then by the sound of things like 1% Cosmos or something or... um. Are we talking like in terms of just market cap value, like the actual amount staked, for instance? Oh, good question, actually. I guess like... Uh, change the percentage. Yeah, probably, probably like a probably number of chains slash parachains. But but actually, yeah, I mean, I guess a more indicative business metric would be like what the uh, custodianship or what the assets would like staked are, I suppose, by ecosystem. I'm guessing overwhelmingly Polkadot. It, I mean, if we're going numbers wise, it's probably ETH. If we're talking the number of validators... It still might be ETH because um, that the global stake brand is it's got its own website and stuff like that. So that's the other name, global stake. And um, but if we're talking about just like I would say breaking down, like in terms of just number of projects instead of like if you just count ETH as one, for instance, then it's Polkadot, then Cosmos, then Ethereum. Um and then there I'm trying to think if there are any other like one off projects or there are some things that we're being invited to to become part of like Genesis validator set stuff um, for projects that I don't know if I should say or not say, you know, but uh, like we have things that are coming online soon, I guess that are outside any of these ecosystems or standalone L ones, if you will. Right. Yeah. So when you like, I'm guessing as well in your role, you do like some aspect of the due diligence side of this stuff. What do you use as like metrics for like, you know, within the cosmos outside of the cosmos, like, what's your feeling on how you look at something to evaluate it as whether it's worth time and energy, because this is something like, I mean, we've talked about a lot on the podcast, as you know, because we, you know, a lot of us kind of just aped into everything in terms of running it during the, the last, um, during app chain winter, particularly in cosmos. And 
to varying degrees have pulled back our involvement from certain chains. I know that's, I think that's, I think all three of us currently on the school and in fact, everybody in the kind of wider validate circle that we we're in, I think almost everybody apart from Polkachu maybe <laughs> has, has sunset their involvement on certain chains. And it's funny that you bring that up because I was just updating a sheet of potential like targets for us. And I was saying to them in our meeting today, because Wednesday is our weekly cadence call. And I was like, I don't know if we want to pursue running infra for these chains because it's clear that validators are leaving. Um, And some of them, because now like I was shocked when I was looking at the bottom of active sets just to kind of get a number. So I could say like, hey, we could buy in and spend X amount of money and get on active in the set. And a good example of this is Axelar, right? Like right now, we could probably buy in for like under $2,000, right? And you could be the lowest validator on the set right now. Now, one of our co-founders loves Axelar, right? Because, I mean, it's sort of this original GMP kind of bridging solution. And again, being bullish on interoperability long term, like I think that's one that he does want to run. But at the same time, because we're waiting for these new data centers to come online, like our NVMe apparently is like reaching saturation with like how many VMs we can spin up on them and whatnot. So like we're running into those kind of challenges where we're having to, because we've been onboarding so much ETH and though you can run a lot of nodes on like a single one, at least again, this is just what I'm told because I'm not the least technical person on the team. Um, We're just starting to get saturated on some of the servers that we've got up and running. So it looks like July, we're going to start getting some more servers online and everything else. So we're kind of trying to pick them. I think at the end of the day, though, we really look for, you know, like what seems to have uh, a viable community, like a support system, you know, that they offer something that people are going to use. Like we we got into Juno, for instance, by default, for instance, like uh, this is another one where people were bailing and we had like a small self stake and we were like hanging out at like 106 or something. And then one day I looked and I was like, oh, hey, we're like the bottom or second to bottom on Juno. We're live. Um, so, you know, some of the ones that we and it was when you guys were talking about Evmos, for instance, I think two weeks ago. And you're talking about how much of a pain in the ass it is. Like we finally got live with Evmos with the help of Notional. They gave us a delegation to like get us live. But then we keep missing blocks. And like it's just so like difficult will constantly complains like this is this chain is a nightmare like we just keep adding more resources to it thinking it was going to fix it and then i was talking to one of the cosmos spaces guys and they said it's probably just even latency if you're running this out of the u.s and you're running on bare metal like it could be just a latency issue like we got it down to where we're, our uptime is maybe like 94 95 percent but it's still like you'd see those white spaces on mint scan every once in a while and it's like yeah so I think at the end of the day, we try to stick to the bigger chains that are well-established. Um, we're also very big into LSTs, hence running Persistence 1, and, and because we know that like LSTs are probably going to be a strong narrative for DeFi going into the next couple of years. So it seems like Stride, um, you know, Persistence 1, Quicksilver, Neutron, obviously, but being an ICS chain, it's in a different boat because it doesn't have like its own token. But, you know, I mean, it's P2P, right, that, that is doing Stride, I mean, uh, Neutron, so... You know that the Lido folks and everything else are going to do a lot of LST stuff, I would assume, on Neutron. So I think it's just looking at what are the narratives, what is going to probably hold up and be durable for the next, you know, say the medium term, maybe three to four or five years. And at the end of the day, too, I think part of it is that our company, like our co-founders excel at building great companies and then selling them off, too. So, I mean, that's like that's what they did from when the dot-com bubble burst for the last 20 years. 
And when they sold like this big podcast company to iHeartMedia, one of the co-founders said, because he was a telecom infrastructure guy. And when fiber was being rolled out in the 90s, he was saying like, this is the future. And people were like, <laughs> we have telephone lines. Like when we get on the internet, we don't need fiber. That stuff's crazy expensive. And then the, the markets collapse and they rush in and they, they bought some fiber companies for, like he said, the fiber alone is worth more than the company. And so that's how they started like this process of building and flipping companies coming in. So he kind of specializes in distressed assets. And so, you know, I think the end game for us ultimately is probably to build up the company and then possibly sell it off because this is kind of what they do. Um, but we want to, you know, that's not going to happen tomorrow, right? Like this is something that's a long-term vision that might be, you know, by 2030, if we can grow this company into something that's sizable, we're a very small team, right? There's, there's just literally few of us and we all wear different hats, you know, like one of our guys who's a principal at the VC fund, he actually was a Goldman Sachs guy and he was Deloitte before that. So he's got this, his name's David. He's probably one of the most savvy financial minds I've ever seen. Like I would say something like I'm a degen, right? Like, and he's like, Oh, I wouldn't do that. That's a terrible idea. You just like the fees you've paid on Ethereum, you, you've lost your yield for the next three months. I'm like, I don't think that way. Right. It's just like, Oh, steak, you know, so like, so it's just, we have a lot of different people and a lot of um, where different things. And so we have someone who's coming on board soon that I think is going to also help bolster our relationships in the cosmos. And I'll just leave that at that. The intrigue. <laughs> Sorry, I've been having my whiskey, so I'm probably a little too loose. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Um, I mean, that's kind of the dream, isn't it? To, to build a company and then get it profitable enough that others are so, see it so, so desirable as to buy it. I don't know if it's a dream for everyone, right? Like it's been what it is. If I built a coffee shop as I intend to do one day, my goal is not to sell it, right? My goal is to, you know, heart, uh, create community around it and, you know, give back and everything. But for a tech company, I think, I think that is traditionally the dream. I think it is kind of funny how Shortsy's like, it's all just like a, a Trojan horse for actually, I just want to really run a cozy coffee shop, but, in order to get the capital to run my cozy coffee shop, I'm going to have to spend 15 years doing something completely unrelated. Yeah. I mean, well, so turning back to Artifact for a moment, since we talk about him often, he's always like, hey, have you reconsidered now? Because crypto's not really in a great spot right now. And I'm like, you need to shove off before you start making sense to me. Yeah. I mean, at the, th the same time, Artifact is still around. They're still running operations, but uh, yeah. I definitely feel like like Funky's description of like somebody telling you, "Hey, do you realize like you've just shot your yield?" That's like every time I speak to Artifact, or like anybody from Artifact, the way they think about business is you just like, wait, what? Is is all the stuff like I think the the journey that I know I've been on, and I think you've been on Shortly too, which is as more of like a business owner, I guess, and and taking that doing that journey from being, I am an engineer and what I do is write code to realize that you've made a series of decisions that mean you now run a company. And sometimes the most profitable thing to do, the, the very, very least profitable thing you could do is distract yourself by writing code. And it's, it's when it's like such a strong part of your identity, it's very hard to stop doing the thing that got you into doing the thing that you currently do. Cause you're like, ah, oh, but this is why I'm here. And it's like, no, 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 we run infrastructure now. That's that's primarily what we do as a company. It's not like you know, we've we've obviously launched a couple of DApps, but it's a very small part of what we do. And that's the thing. Like you talk to somebody like the, the artifact folks, and they're just like, 
why are you spending your time worrying about this thing where the maximum upside is like, let's say your time costs $10 an hour, you'll spend $3,000 of time on this thing. And the maximum you'll earn on that is three times a return. You'll make $10,000. Great. If you wound down the company tomorrow and went and got a contract at a bank, you could make that in two months and do a nine to five. And you're like, fuck, that's a good point. Why am I working seven days a week to do this thing that's orthogonal to our interest as a company? And they're like, yeah. And you're like, "Ah, I see why you guys are good at this, huh? Yeah. Talking with them, I'm like, yeah, there's a reason why. Like, they're they're so up and coming. Like I I will say though, for the first time in a while, I've been writing like actual software to help some of our systems work better. And man, the last two weeks have been like the most fun last two weeks because I'm back to actually like, you know, doing what I've been trained in, spent the last decade doing, and I am loving every minute. Well, not every minute. I had some some crap with like Docker and the right image and everything, but like that's another here or there. That's that's tooling. Other than that, I've God, I've loved it. I'm very jealous. Very jealous. I, I the the closest I got to that recently was I rebuilt our company website, which is basically just wrangling a bunch of fucking JavaScript. But it was one of those where we were waiting with all these. You know how you you try and get something like that done, and like you get some designers and you get some people and you get lineups and people. And it was just taking so long. And in the end, I just woke up one morning. I was like, oh, I can just have this done by the end of the day if I just do it. And then did it. And you're like, uh, that's why you because that, and that's the way you get into tech in the first place, isn't it? You've find a thing you need done and you're like well nobody else is going to do it and i can't afford to pay anybody so i'll work out how to do it right it all comes back around i'm working on that right now doing a recite redesign well i should say erdeman is heading it and i'm paying for it and i'm really excited for like what happens because i haven't really been seeing incre- incremental progress and like what the vision will be um because i'll get all persnickety and like oh we should change this color whatever and i'm like i i know that i shouldn't be in Persnickety, yeah. I'll get all persnickety about it. Is, could you define, could you use it in a sentence that's not that sentence? Ooh. I'm not sure this is admissible in Scrabble. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> is it? Is it not an actual word? I think it is I, an actual I, word. I, I'm 99% sure it is. Persnickety would be like being overly, uh, I, I am persnickety about the correct temperature of my coffee in the morning. It's like needlessly precise. I can attest to like, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, in, so so informal North American. The equivalent, I think, in in English, English is just picky. We just say picky. Yeah, that's uh, fair. Uh, it's like picky to an extreme. Yeah. Yeah, persnickety is like almost needlessly so. Like it's almost like uh, it's like you have an itch, right? It's a uh, like a pet peeve kind of thing, but not. Okay, I feel like we've deprived the viewers of Cosmos drama this entire episode, and I have to ask you guys, like. Cause I see it all over my TL this week. What the hell's up with this cosmos millions thing? Like I just see people talking about it. Like it's something where you can deposit like tokens somewhere and win a lottery or something. And like everybody's up in arms about it, or at least the, the things I'm seeing people are upset. I have no idea what it is. Like it's cause we've been like in our final sprint with Teddy Dow. So like, I feel like I'm really out of touch right now with some of the stuff that's been happening in cosmos. When everything goes to shit, they turn to gambling. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I guess that's a good salvation. Actually, when when the Australian economy turns to shit, I always buy stocks in gambling companies. But yeah, I've never heard of Cosmos Millions. No idea. 
So, so I think Cosmos Millions is on Lum Network, right? And I think it is. I think it's basically holy shit. A, that network has something happening on it. You know, they've actually never stopped doing development, as far as I could tell. I think they've always been doing stuff. Now, has there been a lot of adoption? No, but I think they have been developing basically since it launched. They're like one of the wow. few in the proud. So they've, but are they the only chain that has more developers and they have users then? Because they they launched in like Lisbon, twenty twenty one. I feel like they literally launched at the conference. It was like what. Fucking hell, I almost certainly have a Loom airdrop, in fact, as a result. Keychain, big investor in Loom. Mm. Oh, yeah, that's right. That was a big thing because they, the, they were like 20% voting power for a while. I forgot about I remember that. that. Do you remember Desmos? That was a, Yeah, okay. So, and Rama said something wild. about it. And I think Rama, I think I saw a tweet from Rama this morning about this stuff. Um, yeah. I honestly don't know. I know that there's validators involved in somehow, like Lavender 5, apparently is like being voted in as one of the select validators, but I don't really know why or how. Chill is another one. Do you want know. to be voted in? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You're in whether you like it or not. Once, like the Hotel California, once you check it, wait, you can check out, but you no, can never leave. leave. Something like yeah, that. I feel like in That's some like instances, we're all, we all sitting around here with our fingers crossed, hoping to be voted out. <laughs> To, to be fair, actually, Cosmos Please Governance the is the definition of you can check out, but you can never leave. No matter how much you try and ignore that shit, you still get the Calpatech notification to your phone, and you're like, well, it's like the you know the Grand Theft Auto meme where it's CJ from uh, Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, and it says, oh shit, here we go again. <laughs> every time, every time. I was, I was talking, we were talking earlier today, though, about how the thing about in, in with the rear view mirror of like all the stuff with Juno, like which is now over a year ago, is that the volume on literally everything else is turned way down. You're just like, like, I've, you know, at the moment, uh, we're doing a bunch of other stuff that's outside of Web3, um, just to fucking do something that's a bit less insane for a little while. Um, and it's funny how you can go into meetings that are like quite consequential for these quite large businesses as like a consultant. And like, because people are like doxing each other on Twitter and screaming at each other, you're like, this is very calm. This is very orderly. And you know, somebody at the table is like, what would happen if we just eliminated this entire business department? And you're just daydreaming being like, it's so nice. It's so harmless. It's so, the, the stakes are so low. And they're like, mm, that would it's be quaint. <laughs> yeah, there'll be, there'll be 120 job losses. And you're like, mm, yes, how quaint, how quaint job losses, like not physical threats of harm, not addresses posted on the internet. And you're like, you're like, I've just been away too long from the real world. Um, Wait, there's a real world? <laughs> yes, you've been there. We met yeah, one of, I, I hide behind this uh, this blind here. i got a fucking, like, a roll-up blind that takes up the entire wall. It never gets opened. I think there's a world out there. Wait, so, hold on a yeah, second. Aren't you in a closet? There. Your closet has a blind? Your closet has windows? <laughs> I'm in the closet right now. <laughs> And it has windows? Uh, so this is like the, the room layout here is a bit weird. That's on that side. It's like the whole wall is a closet. And on this side, the whole wall is a window. But it is like a room. It's like a spare bedroom, right? Yeah, it's like an actual bedroom. Yeah. You're not oh, like sitting in okay. Null isn't like Zeke just ripping bong hits in a closet. That's no. Not. <laughs> I thought it was like a walk-in closet that's like kind of narrow because like you have the mirror on the side there. So I was like, okay, so it's like pretty narrow. 
Yeah, this this room's like three and a half meters by three and a half meters, I suppose. I don't know what that is in feet. So about the size of an entire flat in San Francisco, probably. Yeah, (laughs) yak. Um, I once I once went to view a flat like in a in a in a in a British city where it was like you know obviously super crammed in, and I I was like it was like two bedrooms, and I like walked in and like this is the this is the first bedroom, and then I was like okay cool, I was just what like the estate agent went to go and check something in like the kitchen, and I was just wandering around, and I walked into this like really small, what I thought was a built-in closet essentially like it looked like a closet and there were these two kind of weird mirror walls and i was like oh these mirrors must slide there must be a a closet behind these mirrors because this room is super fucking weird and there was like this weird chair at the end as well and i was like this is a very strange room but i guess you know some people are really into walking closets and then the stage walks in behind me is like ah i see you found the second bedroom and i was like (laughs) i was like you fucking what mate and they were like yeah and i was like it was like you know, the John Travolta <laughs> gif. And they were like, oh, yeah. Then it turned out one of, not both, one of them slid back and there was literally a bed behind it, like a single bed. And then the other one like had this weird like semi-opening thing where part of it was actually like an old chimney breast. So it wasn't even, there was nothing behind it. And then there was like a tiny bit where you could put like some, you know, like a little cupboard for T-shirts and shit. It was tiny. Like I can't even describe it. It was like, it was probably like from here to here i guess like just slightly out of shot it was just enough for like a single bed then space to walk and then this weird semi cubby hole cupboard it was the small one of the smallest rooms i've ever seen in my life it was wild (laughs) 